This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Well, hello, and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm pleased to introduce you to Kurt and Ellie Johnson. Now, Kurt and Ellie are a father-daughter combo team who have authored the book, The Barons, a novel of love and death in the Canadian Arctic. Here today to talk about that book are Kurt and Ellie Johnson. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Kurt and Ellie. Hi, Hi thanks for having us. Oh, well, welcome. Happy to have you both here. And uh, happy to uh, sort of uh, uncork the bottle on your story. The first question I always ask is, uh, tell me, where does your story as an author begin? Kurt, I'm going to go to you first on this one. Kurt, sure. where does your story begin? I guess it begins when I went to college. I went to a, a place called Hampshire College. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's kind of a hippie college. I think they made fun of it for a season on SNL. At any rate, I went there to study photography believe it or not. And uh, once I got there, I decided I really didn't like photography. And this woman that I knew kind of turned me on to some authors and some books. And I got real into reading and I got real into some of these authors. And then I was coming back to school the next year and I stopped over in New York City and went into the Empire Hotel to get a key for a hotel room. But by the time I got out, my station wagon had been broken into and my cameras were all stolen. So I did get some insurance money. And, and from there, I, instead of buying more cameras, I bought a typewriter. So that's where it started. I kind of spent three years after college bouncing around trying to write. I lived in New York and LA and Minneapolis and, uh, you know, was an elevator operator and a desk clerk and a delivery driver, a limo driver. I think I was a waiter for a long time, too. And uh, I think I just wasn't mature enough to write and really get the words down on, on page. So I kind of moved on with my life. I ran nightclubs in Las Vegas for about four or five years. Then I got my MBA, like you, Mike, and uh, I went on to have a kind of a corporate and entrepreneurial career. And I sold my business about seven years ago, and then I started writing. I've always wanted to get back to writing. And so that's what I picked up. And, you know, the first thing I did was just kind of write a memoir that wasn't very good, but at least it showed that I could bang out 1,500 words a day and do a novel. And then I self-published something, and then I wrote something else. And then I finally got to the with Ellie, which brings me to the Barons. 
which brings us up to date. And um, so, Ellie, let's go over to you. Where did where does your story as an author begin? Kind of with this book in a lot of ways. I mean, my dad was really the story crafter, the storyteller. He fictionalized this account that's in a lot of ways based on my life. But I do have my BA in English and I grew up really entranced by, you know, movies, stories, books, and kind of culture consumption and media consumption of all varieties. So I thought that like going to school for like English was the best way to tackle that. And after I graduated, I've kind of been trying to, you know, get more into writing, find my 1500 words a day, as my dad put it. And yeah, this story has really been something fun for us to tackle together because it really started off as a short story that my dad had the idea for and started crafting, but then he had to come back to me, obviously, to flesh out an entire novel. Yeah. So, Kurt, so this was your, this was originally your brain, your brainchild, your... Well, yeah. I mean, Ellie went on this four or 500 mile canoe trip up in Subarctic Canada, and that got my mind going on an idea, which was, you know, two, two young women go in and to embark on this trip, and one dies, and the other one has to come out with her body and confront, you know, the the law and and the deceased woman's parents. So that was kind of an idea I gave her, and then it it kind of blossomed from there. I mean, I, I was just going to write a short story, a novella, just for fun, and it just turned into something larger, and mostly just because, you know, I had to ask Ellie about what it was like to be on the Thalon River in the Barren Lands. And then you have to explore, you know, the backstory of these two women. And, and they're both lesbians, they're both gay. And I really had to explore what that was with my daughter, which was difficult. I think, you know, it's hard for any parent to talk to their kids about <laughs> sex, you know, right. and what really happened, you know, and really you don't want to know. So it triggered those conversations. And so what started off as kind of a short story novella morphed into a full-fledged novel with, you know, fleshed out characters and a real love story and story of adventure and death on the barren lands. Really born from hours and hours of phone calls, drinks, pool, (laughs) kind of trying to sort out those stories and, you know, my own youth and upbringing as a gay woman and my experience being on trail and also like how relationships form on trail differently and how, yeah, those bonds force us all closer. Well, I definitely want to get into the writing process because I am curious about that. But before I do, I mean, I, I know there's a backstory here. Tell me about this trip you want on, Ellie. I mean, it sounds very cold, kind of canoeing in, in the subarctic. I I'm, I was born in Florida, so the cold and I don't get along so well. But tell me about this trip and, and what motivated you to take it and then kind of what happened along the way. Well, I grew up going to a camp in northern Minnesota called Camp Wijiwagan. And uh, developmentally through that camp, you go on just longer and bigger and more technical trips every year. And the select few who get through all those trips and can ultimately afford it uh, get to go to these different areas in Alaska and the Arctic and some rivers. And I'm not even sure they do the route on the Thalon anymore, but yeah, it was about uh, 500 miles through the headwaters to the finish with just three other women. 
And it was uh, daunting and incredible and beautiful. And on, it really not that cold, weirdly enough. Our uh, first about eight days were some of the hottest, most miserable heat kind of days I've ever experienced because there's no trees. That's why it's called the barrens. That no, no plants grow above a certain level. And so there was no shade. It was that whole week was just boiling hot. And the sun never goes down. So even sleeping at night would just get boiling hot. But then, uh, of course, the cold sets in as like summer fades. And we were there in the late summer. So the end of our trip got a little chilly. Yeah. Any interesting experience happened on that trip that made its way into the book? Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of my kind of experiences confronting certain things and getting away from them, like getting away from dangers, going through sets that (laughs) dumped but didn't seeing a bear that decided we weren't interesting then just wandered away and, you know, portaging along the Canyon. And I think one of the like reasons that we ended up using the portion of the river that we do in the book is because I made a comment to my dad about how, when we were approaching this area of the Canyon portage, it was just marked like a normal set, like one we would run on any other map and the top of it looked like pretty normal and calm and like you could paddle on a little bit ahead and take a look at it, but we decided to get out and look. And then all of a sudden the walls come up and the water goes down and it's just all very encompassing and and, uh, dangerous, but nothing terrible happened to us on our trip. It was more just how many times we got away with things Mm -hmm. that inspired this idea of like, what if you didn't? (laughs) Right. So Kurt, uh, just back over to you. When do you start sort of outlining this, you know, as a potential idea or thinking of it as a potential idea, you know, for something to write about? Well, it was just kind of between projects, I guess. And um, I just thought of the idea and then I, I delved into it. To be honest, I mean, normally I, I really detail out and outline a book and know where it's going to end. Of course, while writing it, characters evolve and the story changes, but I have an endpoint and I know somewhat what the scenes are going to be like. And in this book, you know, there's a river, there's a start and there's an end. And I knew somebody was going to die. And it was kind of weird because it evolved. And, you know, so it's a river. So day one, you're going to be here. Day two, you're going to be here. You're going to hit the canyon and there's going to be a, a death. You're going to see a grizzly bear. You're going to see muskox. And it kind of evolved. But then I had to deal with this whole backstory thing. And so most of the book is just one woman by herself, surrounded by nobody else. And I have to do backstory. How do you do that? And, you know, some people do it conversationally. Some people do it as in a dream sequence almost. And I was initially wrote this saying first person, um, present tense. So I came up with this idea just while I was writing of doing the backstory as this these verbal storytelling around the campfire. And it ended up being really fun and unique for me to do. And then, you know, I knew at the end she was going to have to get off the river, but I didn't think about what that was going to happen. And I kind of had to force myself, like, there's a lot of, you know, I'm in a writer's group and I've had classes and there's writers that really hate confronting things and they hate hate having things happen to their characters when you have to force yourself through that and so you know nobody wants to write about a woman coming off a journey and then having to confront these the parents of this of this woman 
who you were involved with their death. And so that was real kind of organic. And I just kind of went through the process. Parents showed up. What are they going to be like? How are they going to act? And it evolved in, into this relationship. So that's how that book kind of came together. It was very organic, very unplanned, and very unlike uh, some of the other stuff I like to write. Yeah. What was it like, Ellie, working with your dad on this? Because imagine you've had a, you had a lot of conversations about the trip and your experiences, but also, I mean, I imagine, and, you, and your father alluded to it, a lot of like personal conversations. What was that process like? If I had to throw some words at it, I'd probably say challenging, fun, interesting. I think when I came off trail, he was the first and really only person that uh, really wanted to hear my stories about everything that happened on trail, including like the plant life, the animal life, how it felt and the things I saw, the history of the area that, that felt just like it's steeped into everything around it. So I was kind of excited to start with that kind of stuff. And that's initially how it started because, you know, when he was writing the story, he really just needed to focus on the river at its core. It's, it kind of reads like a trip report, let's say, you know, like you have to start at the top of the river and you have to find your way, way off. And so we kind of started by just going through the river, talking about my experiences, the unique areas along the river, because it's not just the same thing. The term barrens is a little bit deceptive because it really isn't just the same thing along every stretch of the river. So we started there just kind of plotting out what that looked like. And then, you know, like you said, you have to go back and kind of think about what creates a character and like create some dialogue and movement. And we started thinking through these vignettes that in a lot of ways were taken from, from my life and experiences, but also from just general knowledge about what it means to be a gay woman, especially a gay youth. And those were the more challenging conversations, talking about family coming out, realizing you're gay, what you do when you are trying to figure that out. You know, sexual awakenings, falling in love, heartbreak, abuse, like all these things you end up having to approach honestly and critically and really try to form something that creates a character at its core, just you're trying to build an honest person, you know, yeah. that's what a character is supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, the art of writing, the process of writing, you really have to make yourself very vulnerable because if you don't, your readers aren't going to buy it, right? They're, they're going to yeah. know that something just isn't authentic. But, but Ellie, you're doing something even you know, more, I don't know, brave, which is making yourself vulnerable to your dad. You yeah. Know? And, and, and look, I'm coming from the perspective of, I've got three kids, they're 20, we have triplets. You know, just talk of sex in our house. A, it doesn't happen because we're Catholic, but it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, um, it makes you uncomfortable. I mean, I remember I was talking to, my daughter was bitching about, bitching, I, that's a terrible term. She was complaining very voraciously about the side effects of her birth control. And I'm like, I did that, 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 you know, I don't want to hear it. Like talk to your mom about this stuff. No, it's challenging. So, it's hard. You know, but so that's it. And then Kurt, how did you, how, you know, how did you kind of, as a dad, how do you handle like that type of uh, conversation with your daughter? You know, you want to, like you said, you kind of want to cover your ears and, and not hear it. And it was hard, you know, and a, a couple of the conversations, I think we did at a bar over some beers and, and Ellie's uh, partner was there and they were good conversations, but you know, there's certain uncomfortableness to it. And then I had to write some scenes based on those discussions, you know, and um, 
And that was fun, actually. But then I have to show it to Ellie to almost get her approval before because they're they're very personal scenes and they're difficult scenes. And, um, you know, because one of the, the stories is of this girl coming of age and all this backstory of her growing up off the grid in Nebraska and coming out and being shamed and bullied and all that kind of stuff. So it, it was difficult and fun at the same time and interesting. And yeah, I had to show it to my daughter to get her approval because <laughs> it is really close to home. Yeah. I mean, you know, because again, you're writing something that you want to other people need to see as authentic. And, um, you know, as writers, we, you know, we let our curiosity kind of do that. And, but we also take a risk, you know, of, of upsetting people, especially when, you know, something is rooted in such a personal story. I mean, I look, I do stand up comedy. And if what I'm, I'm so what sorry, I, I'm so sorry. When I'm, when I'm on stage and I tell, and everything is like about, you know, having triplets and about you know, being married for 23 years. Sure. And, and, you know, so I tell stories that are rooted in my reality and sometimes they cross the line and my wife, you know, makes me sleep on the couch because I, I hit a, too, <laughs> a point too close to home, but yeah, well, at least you didn't get slapped by Will Smith. So, well, not yet, but that's, that's on my bucket list. Actually, I want to get slapped by Kevin Hart. But, okay. you know, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little taller than him. So he might need a step stool, but uh, <laughs> I'd love Kevin Hart. <laughs> so, you know, Kurt, I mean, as a writer, was this the first time you've ever written collaboratively, like with somebody else? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. And even this writing was, you know, I got to do it in the privacy of my own home. I got to I got to bang out those, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred words a day and get something down on paper. And and at least my process is get it down. And, and you know, that first draft is going to suck. And then you got to hone it and then you got to ask questions and go back and forth with Ellie. And then once there, it's something that that is, you know, a little bit better than it sucks, then I can start showing it to Ellie and getting some feedback and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. And then, Ellie, did you learn anything about yourself during the writing process here? You know, this is I mean, this is so much of this is built on <laughs> your story. I mean, what were some big insights into into yourself that you learned? I don't know. I think what. I, what I certainly was confronted with was how I kind of had to reflect on my own story and how these stories, like, you know, these stories build a character in the book. How do these stories in my own life build me? And reflecting on that can be enlightening and hard and also make you like question some things and even like rereading parts of the book, or at least how, you know, my dad translated my own experiences that, you know, that was really challenging. There were some parts that took me a couple days to... <laughs> get the balls up to keep reading at, at times. So there are, there was a lot of challenges with like confronting my own stories as translated and they are and as fictional as they end up. Uh, those experiences are supposed to be honest to, you know, the, the upbringing, like the childhood and then the young adulthood of a gay woman who struggles with a lot of the things that I, I struggled with. And um, so like, it's hard to confront those things. But you also try to think about how you've come out the other side a more a holistic person, or if not that, at least a person. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like a great read. I want to just pivot from talking to the book because about the book, because I always like to, you know, wrap up with questions again, more designed to get to know who you both are as people. And the first one I always like to start with is just understanding or uncovering 
what some of your favorite TV shows were when you were a kid. And Kurt, I'm going to go to you first on this one. I imagine the answer is going to be drastically different. But um, <laughs> what, uh, what were some of your favorite TV shows when you were a kid, Kurt? Oh, really early, you know, Gilligan's Island and Father Knows Best. And <laughs> yes, Adobe Gillis. I mean, I go back, I'm sorry, to a long way, you know, Hazel, you know, black and white TV. And sure. Mr. Ed. Yeah. <laughs> so, so many of those, so many of those shows were shows my brother and I used to watch on like, I don't know, TBS when we would go visit my grandparents who didn't have cable. You know, they had a, you know, a, um, a TV on the floor next to their hi-fi, you know, little knobs that you'd have to turn. And, and we they had four channels or five channels. TBS was one. That's so we'd, watch, we'd watch Gilligan's Island, Petticoat Junction, Mr. Ed, yeah, uh, Green Acres, um, yep. all those shows. But I loved But also laughing. Laughing on Sunday nights was a big thing. Oh, yeah. And the Ed Sullivan show, you know. <laughs> yeah, all good stuff. I be, You know, here's my question about Gilligan's Island. And I've asked this to other people who have mentioned Gilligan's Island before, because you're not the first, Kurt. Right. If the professor could build a radio made out of coconuts, <laughs> then they're surrounded by trees on this island. Why not a boat? Why not a it's boat a, to get them off the island? A raft, even. It sounds like your comedy routine. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just, you know. If you, can, if you can make a radio, you can make a navigation system. You know, my comedy routine isn't nearly that funny. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's like, why not a boat? Why not a raft? Yeah, there's Come a on. lot of issues with that show. It's a real effort to in suspending belief or whatever they yes, call it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And <laughs> and then the crazy cannibals that come out once every, you know, once every season, you know, the cannibals, they threaten right. everybody. <laughs> Where did they come from? There's a food source on the island that they're not taking advantage of. They just leave. Right. It's nuts. But, but keep in mind, I was also watching Mr. Ed with a talking horse. Of course. And I was watching Green Acres with a talking pig. So that's right. That's right. <laughs> Well, Ellie, over to you. When you were a kid, what were some of your favorite TV shows? Well, honestly, I contrasted a lot between cartoons and slapstick kind of uh, comedy and movies. Watched a lot of Austin Powers together when I was a kid. Groovy, uh, baby. Yeah. <laughs> but then I also watched a lot of horror, uh, horror movies, and I still do. I find that there's a weird amount of intersection between comedy and horror in terms of having to figure out people's anxieties in order to create a reaction. So I watch a lot of really scary stuff. And then immediately after I'll watch, yeah, some John Candy or something. <laughs> Any favorite horror movies you have? Favorite horror movies, really dark, really spooky. The Witch, what's it? The one... With the bees. Oh my God, I'm forgetting the name of it now. But my classics, I always say that I got to go to are The Shining, The Exorcist. Okay, a little fact that Jack Nicholson was talking about The Shining, and he looks at it more as a comedy movie than a, than a horror movie. Yeah, and there's a lot to be said about that. I think Stephen King would agree. He did not like the the big screen adaptation. Yeah, but did you ever see his adaptation? It was... Oh, with Stephen Weber from Wings? Absolutely. Yeah, it was not great. It's not great because I'm not scared of Stephen Weber from Wings. I'm not even scared of Tim Daly from Wings. Uh, (laughs) But the book, The Shining, it's great. I mean, you know, if it just it's a much I'm a book guy, much better story than the movie. I don't think the movie was bad. 
but the book was so much better. And then the follow-up, Dr. Sleep, was fantastic. Yeah, I feel like the movie version of that was a little bit. Yeah, but, you know, I like Ewan McGregor, even though, in my mind, he's not Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) (laughs) Ellie, I'll go to you next with this one. Artists on your favorite playlist, who do you like to listen to? Oh, that changes so constantly. I have a thing for 70s music, Glenn Campbell. (laughs) I was on an ABBA kick the other day. I also really like uh, rap music, Vince Staples, Kendrick Lamar. I like vibing out to jazzy stuff at the end of the night, like uh, Nora Jones and classics like Etta James and Billie Holiday. It really runs the gambit, but... If it's good, I'll probably listen to it and have a phase with it for a while. Very cool. Kurt, over to you. Favorite artist on your playlist? I'm pretty eclectic, eclectic too. I mean, I started off in life as kind of a a grateful uh, dad guy, a deadhead. And then I morphed into more of the punk scene, Clash and and the Ramones and that sort of thing. But nowadays, I was just in Las Vegas about a month ago. And so one of the best concerts I've ever seen, which was Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack with Silk Sonic. Mm-hmm. And for two hours, Anderson just Pack. standing up dancing, the whole crowd for two hours standing up dancing. It was such a show. It was so much fun. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You mentioned going to a hippie college before, <laughs> Kurt, so that, I'm not surprised at the Grateful Dead, but yeah. it's a strike contrast to the Clash and the Ramones. Well, you'd be surprised. Hampshire College had all sorts of uh, little little groups. There's certainly a punk group there, and there's certainly a deadhead group. I probably didn't fit into either one of them, but they were there. There's definitely a coven you can join. We saw them doing a seance <laughs> when we went to visit. And a man on a literal unicycle riding to class, and he looked at us like, what are you looking at, asshole? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> and he had a skirt on, too, by the way. And juggling fish, no doubt. <laughs> Kurt, what lessons about you know writing or publishing do you feel like you learned or had to learn the hard way? Uh, well, there's there's a good question. I've you know I make every mistake in the book. You know, from writing a bad query letter to <laughs> you know submitting a manuscript that that isn't as good as it should be. I managed to get one agent and then get fired and find another agent. So I'm one of these guys that just keeps making more and more mistakes until they finally gets it right. So it's kind of an ugly process for me. But mistakes are uh, only negative if you don't learn from them, right? Exactly, exactly. And I was, you know, I was in business. I was an entrepreneur and had a million ideas. And thank God one struck, but it's the same thing. You know, you're throwing spaghetti at the wall and hopefully something sticks. So, you know, the good lesson, because every author is going to make probably all those mistakes because you get excited about a first manuscript and you want an agent to read it. And you don't realize that that there's just so many mistakes and the agent's not going to take it on because they don't want to do a month's worth of work just to make you, you know, a better author. So at any rate, you know, I'm a big throw spaghetti against a wall and wait for something to stick. Yeah. (laughs) And then uh, Ellie, over to you. I mean, any, you know, big lessons you learned uh, maybe the hard way during this process of kind of writing this book with your dad? That it seems terrifying. I mean, I'm trying to do it now, really. I'm trying to just create a story that actually looks like a story and not just someone trying to write. (laughs) I don't know. It's really challenging. But I think what I learned is that there's this kind of fallacy that's created, particularly about publishing, where people 
we'll work with you to create something. We'll bug you. We'll say like, Hey, like you said, you'd have this chapter on a deadline or like, let's do this, this, and this. No one really wants to work with you that much. They'd rather have something that's uh, marketable. And so you really do have to like, make sure you can self edit or at least have a good circle of people who will edit around you or get involved with a book club who will edit your stuff Mm -hmm. because yeah, your editor does not actually want to edit. He wants to edit for sale. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, I learned it probably the hard way after submitting a couple manuscripts, but, you know, the book business, it's, you know, people are trying to make up, make money as a business. And so the query letter has to be relevant and on trend. And so, you know, I learned the hard way to start, you know, looking at publishers marketplace and the Monday deals and the, and to see what people are buying. And, and you know, nobody's going to take you on unless, especially as a debut author, unless they think they can make money and sell a lot of these copies. So you can't go to them with a book, you know, about a depressed teenager that, you know, wants to get out of his life and is very introverted, but never does get out of his life and spends the rest of his life working on a computer screen. I mean, that's just it may be a good introverted book with a lot of insights into life, but you're not going to get one of those, you know, 200 or 250 agents in New York paying attention because it just doesn't, you know, it just doesn't sing in uh, two sentences in on publishers marketplace. Yeah. Last one up would be Kurt, any words of wisdom you would want to share with your younger self? If you could write a letter to your younger (laughs) self, what would you tell your younger self? Well, I guess the short answer is stop doing stupid shit. I mean, I was one of those, I was that kid in the, in the football photo that, you know, raised his middle finger and got in trouble with the principal. I had real problem with, uh, with controlling my, uh, what's the word, you know, I just stopped doing stupid shit. But in terms of like being a writer, uh, impulse control, impulse control problems. But in terms of being a writer, you know, what I tell my younger self is that to read really what you like, you know, looking up every word and every other line, that's not going to engage you in writing or reading for that matter. So it wasn't until college that I decided to start reading what I like. And then what I discovered later in life is that, is that writing is in a sense muscle memory. So if you're reading what you like and reading a lot of it, that translates into your writing style. And so one of the things I don't do is read people that that I don't think are good writers or that you know stories that I particularly like because I think they're gonna they're gonna mess me up. They're gonna mess up my muscle memory for writing. Yeah. And Ellie, over to you. Any words of advice you would offer your younger self if you could whisper into her ear? I turned 24 in August. I'm still trying to figure it out in a lot of ways. But um I think I'd tell myself kind of the same advice I'm trying to take myself right now which is stop taking everything so seriously sometimes, stop taking yourself so seriously sometimes. You know, ultimately, if you just keep moving forward and try to have fun sometimes, things will work out as they were meant to pretty much either way, but you might be a little bit happier at the end of it. All right, very good. Well, keep moving forward. (laughs) Keep moving forward. Not a bad piece of advice. Well, the book is called The Barons, A Novel of Love and Death in the Canadian Arctic. The authors are Kurt and Ellie Johnson. 
Kurt Nelly, where can people go to learn more about you? I guess, Kurt, go first. Do you have a social media or do you have a yeah, website? I mean, you, you can wanna... go to Kurt Johnson, K-U-R-T Johnson books.com. And that shows you some places to buy it. Certainly in the, in the Minnesota Midwest area, you can go to your independent bookstore and get it. Otherwise it's available at online sources. Very good. Ellie, over to you. Any place people can go to learn more about you? Our Instagram's at Kurt Johnson Books and at LEJ418. And also Google, just Google the Barron's, the Barron's book. It will pop up and you have our publisher's info right there. All your online retailers and go pick up a copy. It comes out May 3rd. We're really pumped about it and leave us a review. Really appreciate Karen? it. And if you need the cover, here it is. The Barons. I love this cover. I love this cover. Very I nice. Cover. Yeah. Very, uh, very engaging. So, all right, here it is. The Barons. Well, thank you, uh, Kurt Nelly. Appreciate you taking the time to chat with me on Uncorking a Story. Yeah, thanks for having thank me. Thank you.